The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. I'm starting a series today that I will continue next week and the week after. So I'll give you a taste of it this week and hopefully you'll come back next week to hear part two and part three. The series is called Exchange. The key to your breakthrough. How many of you need a breakthrough somewhere in your life, in your situation? You need a breakthrough. You're praying for something that hasn't quite come your way, but you're believing for a break. Anybody here believing for a breakthrough? Well, I really believe that exchange is the key to your breakthrough. And we'll, we'll talk about that today a little bit and continue it on next Sunday morning and the following Sunday morning. But let me just say right at the very beginning that all Christians believe that today commemorates the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what makes Christianity unique. What makes it unique? That our founder is not in a grave somewhere, but has risen from the dead and is alive. You know, most of the religions and philosophies of the world have a place where they commemorate this is where our founder died and his bones are there and they do pilgrimage to the tombs. Well, I've been to the tomb where Jesus was laid. I've been there and on the door, this is what it says, He is not here for He is risen. What do you reckon? I've been there. I know. There are no bones there. He's risen from the dead. There's a skinnier version and a younger version of me, but we'll see if we can get there again. Okay. I want to say to you this morning that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. The resurrection proves that everything that Jesus said was true. Without the resurrection, there would be no proof that what Jesus said was true. He would be just classified as a prophet or a good man or a good teacher. But the resurrection proves that everything that Jesus said was true. When Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, but the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that's what he meant. And he proved it when he rose from the dead. He proved that he was the son of God. He proved that he was the savior of the world. And because he rose from the dead, I have a hope. And you have a hope that you will not stay in the grave, but you too one day will rise from the dead. How many of you think that's a wonderful hope? I remember when I was a kid, we used to sing a song that says, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. How many of you remember that old song? Because He Lives, and I'll I'll save you from me singing it. I'll just quote it. All fear is gone because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. What a wonderful thing it is to know that Jesus is alive that he lives. This morning, I, I, I want to open up a scripture to you. It's Matthew sixteen twenty six. While you're finding Matthew sixteen twenty six, I just want to give you just a, a little brief glimpse into a picture that I just saw just as I was reflecting and meditating on Resurrection and Resurrection Sunday. How many of you remember the story of the women going to the tomb and they saw the angels. They went into the tomb 
and they found two angels. And one was sitting at the head of the tomb, and the other was sitting at the feet of the tomb. And I'd never seen this before. But just as I was reflecting on it, I thought, what an incredible picture of the tomb, which is a slab. And I wonder if you can see what I'm seeing. There's the slab. And there at one point of the slab is an angel. And then at the other foot of the slab, there's another angel. Hello? How many of you can see what I'm seeing? And right there where Jesus lay, the mercy seat. This is an incredible picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was that place where the high priest would enter and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat was the cherubim with the angels and the wings touched each other. And as the priest actually sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, it declared forgiveness of sins for the people for one year. But when Jesus died and he laid upon that slab and his blood was shed, it wasn't forgiveness of sins for one year. It was forgiveness forever to those who believe. And and, and then the beautiful thing is this, is that the angels went away. Jesus rose from the dead and it was complete. And no longer do We have to go to that place to receive forgiveness of sins. No longer does blood have to be applied on that slab to receive forgiveness of sins. But now, whosoever will, by simply calling upon the name of the Lord, can receive forgiveness of sins and life forevermore. Because what Jesus accomplished was forever. Can anybody say amen to that? Oh, I tell you, I'm going to get a little bit excited today. So hang on to your seats. I'm going to shout a little bit, so hang on to your seats, because uh, you, can't, you can't get boring on Resurrection Sunday. Okay, have you found Matthew 16, 26? This is what it says. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a question. What's your soul worth? What can you give in exchange for your soul? What is your soul worth? The implication here is that if you gained the whole world, if you gained all the riches of the world, if you gained all the money in the world, it still would not be enough to pay for your soul. How many of you think that your soul is pretty valuable? Turn to the person next to you and say, your soul is valuable. Absolutely valuable. In monetary terms, the Bible says there isn't enough money in the world to give in exchange for your soul. But in Mark 10.45, we see that the Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom for your soul. He gave his life. And so this is what I want to say to you this morning, that your soul is worth more than all the money in the world. That's still not enough to pay for your soul. But the value of your soul is equivalent to the life that Jesus shed. How many of you know there's nothing more valuable in the whole universe than the life that Jesus shed? And as far as God is concerned, that's the value of your soul. Now, don't you leave this place today and call yourself an idiot or call yourself worthless or call yourself something that devalues you. Because as far as God is concerned, the value of your soul is worth more than all the riches of the world and equivalent to the life 
of Jesus. That makes you incredibly valuable. How many of you can say that's awesome? The price that was paid for your soul, I want to just spend a little bit of time on this because there's a Greek word called hilasmos. And hilasmos is the ransom price. When Jesus said that I've come to give my life a ransom for many, that's the Greek word hilasmos. It's a price that's paid. So, for instance, ransom is what you pay if... If, if, if your friend gets kidnapped or your child gets kidnapped, the kidnappers say, if you want your child, he is the exchange price for your child. A million dollars. Let me tell you, if someone kidnapped my, my girl, Christelle, I would do everything to raise the million dollars. I'd sell everything that I had. Why? Because to me, my girl is worth more than a million dollars. And so there's... So that they put a value on her, and I will do whatever it is to pay that, 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 that price. And, and that's the exchange price. And so this is what Jesus said. said that the exchange price for your soul is my life. What an incredible thing that is. Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, And he himself is the propitiation. That's that Greek word, hilasmos. He is the, the, the price. He is the exchange price for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. How awesome is that? That's the value that the Father would place upon our soul. When John the Baptist saw Jesus as, as, as the Messiah in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to that people in the first century to the jewish people in the first century they understood this picture that john the baptist painted they understood at the passover a lamb had to be killed and the blood of that lamb had to be shed in order for the family to have their sins forgiven it went right back to the days of moses when they were in egypt and the Passover lamb was the lamb that was, that was killed and barbecued on the night before their release. And this was the edict. Whoever gets a lamb and kills it and then gets the blood of the lamb and paints the doorposts of the house with the blood of that lamb, when the death angel comes and sees the blood, he cannot enter into that house. But if there's a home that does not have the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, the death angel comes and it will kill the firstborn. And so those that believed simply got a lamb. They killed it, got the blood sprinkled on the doorpost. And the Bible says that that night when the death angel came, he could not enter the house where the lamb had been sacrificed. There was a blockage. He couldn't come even if he wanted to. He couldn't. Why? Because the blood protected the household. And then John the Baptist says, you guys understand the lamb. Well, this is Jesus. He is the lamb of God sent to cover the sins of the world. And I tell you, folks, that with us, if we are under Christ, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe that on Good Friday, Jesus shed his blood on Resurrection Sunday, he rose from the dead. Something happens to us as believers. We are under the blood. We have the blood sprinkled on us. And when the death angel comes, he sees 
face that we are covenant people. We are people washed. We are people cleansed. We are people delivered. We are people separated from other people. We are the people that belong to God because of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? I know that preaching on the blood has become old-fashioned. Ooh, it's too scary. People freak out. But this is what the Bible talks about. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Do you know that we're not the only faith that believes that? Last week we had in our church a great man. His name is Jossie Chaco. And he was sharing from this pulpit. He's an Indian. He was sharing in this pulpit that when he was in India one day, he saw this. He saw this father beating himself with what? With rods and whips. Not only did he see himself beating himself with rods, but the son of this man and the baby were also beaten until blood started to pour from the wounds. The blood of the father and the blood of the two kids were pouring. And, and, and Jossie said to this man, why are you doing this? And this is what the man says. He said, our faith teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And all of a sudden, Jossie realized the difference between their faith and our faith. Their faith is about the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. But our faith is about the shedding of God's blood, the Son of God's blood. He shed His blood to cleanse our sins. He paid the price because He saw value upon you. Can anybody get excited about that besides me? The shedding of blood. An exchange took place many, many years ago. That exchange that took place was the breakthrough for my life. Jesus shed his life that I might have life. An exchange took place. Can I talk to you this morning about exchange being the key to breakthrough? Come up here, sweetheart. I want my wife to come up here. Because nearly 30 years ago, we made an exchange, and that exchange created covenant relationship between us. Do you know what I'm talking about? you got no idea. That's right. Can you give me that ring that I gave you 30 years ago, if you can take it off? So, so 30 years ago, I bought this ring, and Anne bought this ring here. And 30 years, well, it'll be in December, this year, 30 years ago. And there are some people on the front row that were there and witnessed what happened 30 years ago. We exchanged rings. I gave Anne this ring that I bought with all the money that I had in the whole wide world. I was in Bible school, and let me tell you, I didn't have much, but what I had, I turned to gold and, uh, and got her. Let me tell you, what a great... And so, and so we exchanged rings. I gave her this ring. And she put that on her finger, and she gave me this ring, and she put it on my finger. And through the exchange of rings, we exchanged covenant. And to this day, when people look at us and they see these rings, 
they are reminded of the covenant that we made. An exchange took place that is still speaking today. When people look at my finger and they see this ring, they say, that man belongs to a woman. He is declaring it. An exchange took place. When men look at that ring on her finger, they say, we can't afford what that man has provided for that woman. We better stay away. (laughs) And the exchange took place. And that exchange established covenant relationships. Thank you, sweetheart. You looked so beautiful standing there. An exchange took place 2,000 years ago that has established covenant between you and God, or for some of you, the possibility of covenant. And some of you need to understand that the possibility of covenant is there. But much, much more was included in the exchange price. Can I share with you five things that was included in that exchange price this morning? I love this. One of the things that was included was righteousness. An exchange took place that gave you righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's read that. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I don't know if you can grasp the power of this scripture. This was the exchange that took place. We go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want an exchange. I want to give you all of my sin. And then Jesus says, and I will give you all of my righteousness. How many of you think that's a pretty unfair sort of a deal for Jesus, but very fair for us? We've got a lot of Asians here, and you all like a bargain. This is... Huh? Am I right there or wrong? Come on, who likes a bargain? Let me tell you, there's no greater bargain than this. You give Jesus all your sins, and he gives you all his righteousness. Who's lining up to buy into that one? Come on. I don't understand why everybody in the world doesn't line up for that one. You say, what's the catch? No catch. It's his love that does that. His amazing love that says, I'll exchange all of your sin for all of my righteousness. And this is the thing that so many of us have so much difficulty dealing with us. We we, we have difficulty dealing with this because we still see ourselves as imperfect and miserable but yet when father god looks at us he sees us through the righteousness of christ we're covered and so this is why we can go to heaven because we are no longer sinners we are people that have received the righteousness of christ And so through his righteousness, we can go into heaven because he makes us perfect. Without his righteousness, you can't go in. How many of you remember the story of the wedding feast? Where where someone snuck in through the back door and he's standing out like a sore thumb. Why? Because he didn't receive the robe. And he's sitting at the wedding feast and, 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 and the master comes up. What are you doing here? Well, well, yeah, I just thought I'd come in, but but you came in the wrong way. You didn't receive the robe. The robe covers all of the sin. The Bible talks about the robe of righteousness that God gives us. It covers everything over. Under the robe of righteousness, we're perfect. And that's what God gives us. We're covered by that robe. All of our sin is dismissed. And we are seen as righteous as Jesus is righteous. How many think that's absolutely awesome? That's the exchange. 
But you can't receive righteousness unless you give him your sin. That's the exchange price. Number two, the second thing that we get, this is a wonderful deal. We get blessing. Not only do we get righteousness, we get blessing. Galatians 3, 13 to 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us Gentiles. I love this. Jesus became a curse that we might be blessed. And he says, come on, give me all of your curses and I'll give you all of the blessings. How many think that's a pretty good deal as well? Let me tell you, none of you have to be under a curse. None of you have to be afraid of a curse. None of you have to live under the fear of a curse because Jesus has broken the curse on our behalf. But you know, some of you are still living under curses. You say, why is that? Because you've not gone to Jesus and exchanged your curse for his blessing. Let me tell you, some of you are under, are under curses from generations back. There are curses upon... I, I really believe that, that there are generational curses that just flow from father to son and, and father to daughter and they just keep going. And the same mistakes are perpetuated generation after generation after generation. And you say, well, well, can we break it? Yes, that's the good news. That no curse has to stay upon your life. And you know what? So many people are afraid of the curse. And Jesus became a curse that we might be freed from the curse and be blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? I, I want to live under blessing. I want everything I touch just turn to blessing. I, 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 want, I want blessing in my home. I want my kids to be blessed. I want my family. I want my friends to. I want anybody that comes into contact with me to receive blessing because blessing overtakes me. Blessing is in front of me. Blessing is behind me. Blessing is around me. Do you know our family is blessed? Our family is incredible. We live in peace. What a wonderful thing to live in peace. What a wonderful thing it was yesterday to have my mother with me and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And my father went to be with the Lord quite a few years ago. But we live in peace. We, we talk and walk and, and bless. You know, I've been married for nearly 30 years and have never, ever, ever had an argument with my mother-in-law. How many of you think that's a miracle? Huh? That, not once. And she's here this morning. She can testify to that. She's to this day says, I'm a favorite son-in-law. <laughs> Feel so blessed and privileged. Her one and only son-in-law, but still. <laughs> it's great. What a miracle that is. What a miracle it is that I don't tell mother-in-law jokes because my mother-in-law is one of the nicest women in the whole wide world. How many son-in-laws do you, do you have say things like that and, and mean it? Because we're blessed. We're totally blessed. We live in blessing and rejoice in blessing. The curse has been broken off our family. And the curse needs to be broken off some of your families. So that, that woke some of you up. I, I, you know, some of you jumped about three meters when I said that. That was awesome. Now you're awake and you can receive the blessing of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, let's move on from broken curse. This is the exchange. Prosperity. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Now, what happens with some people is that they only interpret this in one way. And so in, it, this is an amazing thing how perspective can, can, can challenge us because I don't believe that Jesus was just talking about money rich. I think he was talking about richness in every area. And he became poor. He emptied himself that we might become rich. You know, and some of you have a lot of money, but you are poor. Some of you don't have much money, but you're rich. What is that? See, it's, it's, it's all about what happens around you, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. You know, because how many plates of food can you eat at one time? The rich man or the poor man can only eat one plate of food at one time. How many, how many pieces of clothes can, you, clothes can you wear in one time? You know, you can only wear one set of trousers, one shirt, one pair of shoes at one time. It doesn't matter how much you got in the wardrobe. You can only wear one set. I mean, how many roofs can you live under? Oh, well, a, a big roof or a little roof, it's still a roof that keeps the rain off you. See, some people are content, and some people, doesn't matter what they have, they're never content. Well, if you're not content, you're not rich. But if you are content, you are rich. And Jesus became poor that you might become contented and rich in your contentment. It's as simple as that. And that's what my definition of prosperity is. It's not about the size of car that you drive or the size of house that you live in or how much money in the bank. Matter of fact, to me, my definition of prosperity is having enough to have all your needs met and having something to give away to others. And if you don't have enough to give away to others, you're not rich. You say, but, but I'm mortgaged to the hilt. Then you're poor if you haven't got anything to give away. See, see, my mother is a pensioner. She has a house paid for, but it's not as if she's you know, dripping in diamonds, but you can't go to her place without her giving you something. It's just part of the deal. If you go to her place, you've got to receive something, and that makes her rich. I know a lot of people that have got a lot more money than her, but aren't as rich as she is. Because richness is not about how much you have, but how much you give away. That determines whether you're rich or not. And so that puts a whole new definition. Jesus became poor that you might become rich. What a great exchange. Come on, come to Jesus. Give him your poverty and he gives you his richness, his prosperity. Here's another one. Are you getting anything out of this? This is exchange, the key to your breakthrough. Number four is healing. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. How many of you can see the exchange that took place here? He was wounded. He was bruised. He was stripped and, 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 and battered. For what? So that we might be made whole. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Now some of you are saying, but, but I'm not healed yet. The price was paid that you will be. I'm a big believer that God wants to heal you. And you say, how do you know that? Because he paid the price. He paid the price. And so I don't care who you are, we believe in healing. We will lay hands upon you because the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I don't know when you will recover, but I know that you will recover. Some people recover instantly. Some people recover in a day. Some people recover in a week. Some people recover in a month. 
I, I don't know exactly when. The Bible doesn't say the time, but it says you will recover. And so we will lay hands upon the sick. And we believe that through the price that Jesus paid, people get healed. And number five, here it is, eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the death. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And this is the hope that we have, is that through his death and resurrection, we also will rise from the dead Death, where is your sting? Is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Come on, the sting of death has been removed. The fear of death has been removed. Hebrews talks about that Jesus released men from the fear of death whom their whole lives were held captive. I'm not afraid to die. Why I'm not afraid to die? Because for me, death is transitioning from one state of being to another state of being. Death does not hold power over me. Do I want to die? Only when I'm finished, what God wants me to do. Up until then, you know, this is what Paul was saying. You know, I'm caught between the two. I want to be with you. I want to be with Jesus. You need me here, but I'll tell you, when Jesus calls me, I'm ready to go. Why? Because death has lost its fear over me. I'm no longer afraid of death. The fear of death that has kept people for captive for so long has been broken through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He broke the chains. He broke the barriers. When he rose from the dead, something happened in the universe. Fear was broken. Death was broken. Hades was broken. Chains were broken. Jesus, the first fruit of those risen from the dead, giving us hope forevermore that we too one day will rise from the dead and be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. That's what the resurrection means to me. The plane's coming in for a landing. I'm just about through. All this is given to us at the place of exchange. Exchange. It's all about exchange. I don't know if you can understand this. It's all about exchange. See, he's paid for everything. But then we've got to give something in return. And you know what? It's so easy. Anne and I were just little kids. She was six, I was seven. Brought up in a Christian home. Just little kids. But we realized as little kids that we'd done wrong done all sorts of things. I used to torment my sister to death. My mother used to get so angry with me, she'd, go, she'd bite her finger. Do you remember this, mom? You remember that? You used to bite your finger. She'd get down on her knees and she'd threaten to kill me. She didn't follow through with the threat because I'm still alive today. But you know what? Even as a seven-year-old kid, I'd realized that there was something that I needed to deal with. And so at our church, as a little kid, we never had um, creche and places like that. We'd sit in church like these two beautiful children are doing this morning. They're sitting in church with mom and dad, listening to the message. That's the way we were brought up. And every Sunday night without fail at our church in Hamilton Assemblies of God, every Sunday night back in the 60s when I was a kid growing up, they'd sing just as I am without one plea 
but the blood of Christ was shed. How many of you remember that song? And it used to move me. As a little kid, it used to move me. And I, I still remember this day. The pastor, Pastor Bob Moody, gave the appeal. And I put up my hand as a little kid, knowing that I had sinned and knowing that I had to confess my sins in order to exchange my sin for his righteousness. And I can still remember as a little kid making that exchange. Jesus, I give you my sin. And in return, he gave me his righteousness. What a deal. That deal has lasted over 40 years now. It's still holding strong. He still kept part of He still kept his word. He still kept part of his bargain. And today I want to say to you that you've got to give him something. If you want blessing, come on, give him your curse. If you want prosperity, come on, give him your poverty. If you want healing, give him your wounds. If you want eternal life, give him your fear of death. And that place of exchange is the place of breakthrough. The place of exchange is where Jesus comes and meets you and, and bestows blessing upon you more than you can ever, ever hope to receive. But you've got to humble yourself and hand over what's holding you back. And this morning, I want to pray for people to hand over stuff, exchange it for the good part. And this morning, if you can humble yourself and just hand over all the rubbish, all the fear, all the guilt, all the stuff, then he'll replace what you've given him with righteousness and blessing and goodness and peace and prosperity and every good thing from heaven because that's what God wants to do in your life. Come on, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful. We're just so grateful for what you have done and what you're wanting to do. And now, Lord, I just pray for every single person in this auditorium. I pray for those that have in their life needs. I pray, Lord, that you will meet their needs. Lord, this morning, I specifically pray for those that are living in guilt, are living in condemnation, are living in the fear of death. And I pray that this morning they might have seen that there's hope in Jesus. There's a place of exchange where they come to you in faith with their sin and you will replace that sin with your righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that you'll remove their guilt this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Center Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 